And I just think that there are so many opportunities, to your point, so many opportunities, whether it's at our jobs or just in our day-to-day life, to show kindness to other people and sort of be open to those interactions that go beyond the transactional nature of what some of us are doing for work. You are listening to motivational quotes and inspirational life stories from real life people just like you. I'm your host, Victoria Johnson. You can learn more about me and my number one best-selling book at victoriajohnson.org. It's time to share our experiences and motivate and inspire you. So let's get started. Hello, viewers and listeners. You are going to be very excited about our guest today. Her name is Jen Maxfield, and she may look familiar to you. Let me tell you why. Jen Maxfield is an award-winning reporter and anchor who started at NBC New York in 2013. Prior to that, she worked for Eyewitness News, ABC7 in New York City as a reporter and substitute anchor for 10 years. She has reported live from thousands of news events over her 22-year career and estimates that she has interviewed more more than 10,000 people. And it is such an honor to interview you today, Jen. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, and Victoria, thank you so much for taking an interest in the book and for having me on. Well, I'm very excited to tell the viewers and listeners about the book. I'll just let you know right now, the book is coming out on July 12th. It is called More After the Break, A Reporter Returns to 10 Unforgettable News Stories. And we're going to tell you more about that in a minute. I'm going to tell you how to get it. JenMaxfield.com. You can pre-order there. Okay, so pre-order more after the break at JenMaxfield.com. So let's uh, just go ahead and dive right into some questions. I've been really curious as to how you came up with this idea of going back and going through your stories and creating a book. Well, some of the clue to that answer is really in the title of the book itself, going back to these 10 unforgettable news stories. And when I say unforgettable, I hope that's the case for the readers, but it really started with me. And the way that local news works is I get assigned a story in the morning and I work on it and it may get changed two or three times during the day. And then I do my live report and the story airs that evening. And then the next day that cycle begins anew. And just because we move on to the next story or people's names or stories fade from the headlines doesn't necessarily mean that I stopped thinking about those people. And so the way that I came at this book and the way that I came up with the stories that I wanted to investigate further was really very organic to me that these were the people that I continued thinking about weeks or months or years or even decades after I had covered them on the news because these people made such a big impact on me, even in our short time that we spent together. I can totally see from reading the reviews of the people that that have had the honor of reading your book prior to it being published, that you are one of those people who works from the heart. And I would think that in a very fast-paced environment and where there's always a lot of emotion, someone who works from the heart, that might be a little bit difficult. How did you navigate that? I was raised the oldest of six kids, and my parents always taught all six of us to treat other people the way you wanted to be treated. And that philosophy has really taken me through life, and that is how I approach people at New scenes. I am thankful that I have not been in a lot of the circumstances that these people have found themselves in, but I recognize that I'm there with them on what may be the most tumultuous, the most chaotic, the worst day of their lives. 
And I'm there to tell their story, but I'm also there as another human being. And so I always approach people with respect and dignity. And I do think that that's not only why people tend to open up to me in the initial news stories, but why to my surprise, and and really I'm so grateful for this, that people agreed to speak with me a second time for this Mm -hmm. book and trust me with their stories, not once, but twice. I want to share with the viewers and listeners a little bit about what some of those stories are. So 10 memorable stories from her career. She introduces readers to unforgettable people who will inspire you with their hopefulness, even when confronting life's greatest heartbreaks. A young man who lost both legs in a ferry crash, an endurance athlete with stage four lung cancer, a fifth grader on a doomed field trip. I'm getting goosebumps just reading this. An Ivy League undergrad sentenced to decades in prison, a young woman who gave her life for an animal, a Wall Street executive on an ill-fated bike ride, a preschooler whose health hinged on an immigration battle, a family who lost everything in a hurricane, a mother who fought back against domestic violence, and a man who stood up for his rights while seated in his wheelchair. And the next line really got to me, which was returning to these people even decades later and them being open to you. Just your presence alone must have made such an impact on their life. Well, I I would like to think that. And I think of myself as a fairly humble person. And it was surprising to me even that when I did reach out to people, especially one example would be someone I interviewed in Gulfport, Mississippi, just days after Hurricane Katrina destroyed her entire home. I mean, you can't think of a worse and more chaotic circumstance than this. I think she was in shock. The whole thing must have been a fog. I interviewed her. Her name is Laura Middleton. I interviewed Laura outside the wreckage of her home. The whole interview probably took, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. And then I moved on to the next interview and she went back to cleaning up her home. Now, this was almost 17 years ago in 2005. When I located her and called her out of the blue, I was stunned that she even remembered my name, remembered who I was. I figured I just would have been sort of lost in the shuffle of that chaotic and really devastating situation. But I do think that that we form a very unique bond between the reporter and the subject. And I think there are other professions, too, where people recognize that even though the time you spend with another person is short, it has a long impact. And you do remember them years or decades after. And those people who are especially helpful, you know, in a in a trauma type situation or in a crisis, I think we can all think of that friend or that policeman or the kind neighbor or in your case, the reporter who was there to make a difference. And what a gift that is. And, you know, I love that you said your parents raised you to treat other people like you've been you want to be treated because that is exactly what you've done. I mean, it shows in the impact that you make. And it's just another example of how in any career, you know, when I think of a journalist, I don't necessarily think of somebody who's changing people's lives. I think of somebody who is reporting the news. And so it's important to remember that in every career, whatever we're doing, we have that opportunity to be making a difference. And that is such a satisfying feeling. It's so true. And I think sometimes it's just having your heart open to that and seeing someone as more than just a story, more than just an interview, really trying to connect with someone and put yourself in their shoes. And look, like I said in the introduction of my book, it it doesn't have to just be a news reporter who feels this way. I mean, I talked about 
someone who's working at the grocery store who sees the same customer over and over, or someone who's in the military who remembers children from a place where she served. And I just think that there are so many opportunities, to your point, so many opportunities, whether it's at our jobs or just in our day-to-day life, to show kindness to other people and sort of be open to those interactions that go beyond the transactional nature of what some of us are doing for work. Absolutely. I will be counting down the days till July 12th. So again, you can pre-order at jenmaxfield.com. So it's J-E-N-M-A-X-F-I-E-L-D.com. You can learn more at on LinkedIn, Jen Maxfield, Facebook, Jen Maxfield, Twitter at Jen Maxfield, the number four, N-Y, and on Instagram at Jen Maxfield News. And I have to say, I've checked out all those sites and there's fantastic stuff there. And I really feel like I'm already getting to know you. So for the viewers and the listeners, check out all those places. When you order the book, you're going to feel like you are sitting down with a friend and that she's opening up and sharing these beautiful stories with you of really overcoming adversity and moving on with life. And what a unique opportunity for us to get that glimpse into what happens after, what's next, what's the rest of the story. So Jen, how did you pick the stories? I think it's important to note, especially if anyone's even thinking about writing a book or they have an idea to write a book, it all looks very organized now with the 10 stories and the chapters are laid out in a very organized way in chronological order. But I do want to say that the process of writing this book was much more disorganized than it may seem because I did not come up with all 10 stories and have everybody agreeing for the interviews and then start writing the book. It wasn't until I was maybe half done with writing the book that I even knew that it could be a book. So I had a long list, far more than 10 stories, by the way, of people who I wanted to reconnect with. And what I was doing in the process of writing the book was I would be writing one chapter and doing research for the next. And sometimes people were impossible to find. Sometimes people did not want to participate. As I said, the majority of people who I contacted did want to participate, but it it didn't work in every instance. I'd love to say that I still have a long list of stories if I did want to write another book. But as far as choosing these 10, these were people who were still top of mind to me. And there was something about their story that stuck with me. And I just couldn't stop thinking about them and wondering what happened to them after the initial news story. The other thing that I specifically did in this book is I tried to avoid stories that had gotten a ton of other coverage. Perfect example of that is the miracle on the Hudson landing, where mm-hmm. which happened in 2009 when Sully Sullenberger landed the plane on the Hudson River in New York and everybody survived the crash. So I covered that story. I was at the hospital. I was interviewing survivors. It's still one of the greatest miracles of any story that I've ever covered. However, Tom Hanks has starred in that movie. I didn't really think I was going to break a lot of new ground on that story. So what I did was I tried to return to stories that I was still thinking about and that people may have some familiarity with, but that the people at the center of them had sort of faded into obscurity. These are people, I mean, the people I interview at work, they are not celebrities. They didn't crave the spotlight or, or try to do this for fame. They were they were thrust into it by circumstances beyond their control. And so I was really curious about those people, uh, the people who did not crave the spotlight and, and really faded from it after their stories and, and what happened to them. 
You know, what I find with the titles that uh, of those chapters that I just read through is that to each of those stories, I can feel that there would be an underlying emotional healing that would have needed to occur in, in each situation. So as you are on the ground reporting the story, like you said, 20, 30 minutes, and then when it's going through production, then the weeks and the years later, when it's kind of in the back of your mind, then when you circle back and talk to these people again, how do you manage your own emotions and the emotional healing as you relive these experiences with the people? I think that's a great question and really one of the big tensions of my job and the the job of a lot of journalists. So look, I got into journalism because I love people. I love meeting new people. I love talking to people. I love learning new things from people. So I really enjoy sitting down with someone and hearing about their life and their story And as I said, I try to put myself in other people's shoes and I do form those connections. And that's a lot of the reason why I enjoy my job so much and why I'm still doing it after 22 years. On the other hand, we do have to, at some point, I have to draw some kind of a line where I say, in the first place, I have a professional obligation, right? I've got to get the story on the air by four or five or 6 p.m. If I don't do that, then the interview is, for nothing because nobody gets to see it. So I have that professional obligation to get the story on the air and get an accurate story on the air. But the second part of it is that, look, I'm a mom of three kids. I'm married. I have five siblings. I have my parents. I have a very full life outside of work. And in order to be a good mom and a good wife and a good daughter and a good sister, I really need to compartmentalize on some level what I'm doing at work so that I can go home and be there for my family. And so that really is the tension that I live with, is that I want, I so want to connect with everyone at work, and I think I do that, but I also need to have some coping mechanisms built in where I am able to put the phone away and go home and make dinner, where I am able to maybe some days not talk to my kids about what I covered at work. Maybe it means I call my mom or my sister on my drive home from work and don't talk about work at all and just try to sort of put that, take my journalist hat off and put another one on. So those are some of the things that I've done through the years. But I also think that because I am still in touch with some of these families, it allows me to just to have a more natural connection and it doesn't feel artificial, like I just parachuted into their lives and left. I do still have some ongoing relationship with them. And and I just think that, look, we've all read a lot of books from people where the journalist is at the center of the story, right? The journalist is doing the stories and all these other people kind of parachute in. I wanted to flip the script on that and put the subject of the news stories at the center And I come into their life because that is a more realistic retelling of the story. That's how it happens. These events happen to them. And then I show up. So that's what I've really tried to put out there in the book. What a beautiful human being you are. Absolutely. You know, when I think of these over 10,000 people that you have interviewed, it could be really easy for you to make it all about you and to be coming from that space with this genuine humility that you have and that you're committed to the story, committed to the people and really pulling yourself out of the equation, I think is probably what part of what makes you such a great storyteller. And I'm so glad that you've taken those stories and put them to paper. I do have a couple of more questions for you. And this is kind of along the same theme, but 
When you are covering, let's just talk about, say, Katrina, you mentioned that earlier. When you are covering that story and you have to walk up to this woman and say, hi, I'm Jen. I'm here to talk to you about this. Is there a fear? What is the emotion when you are approaching someone to talk to them about their hardest day, hardest hour? That is the part of my job that pushes me the furthest outside my comfort zone. There's no question. When you're approaching somebody at, whether it's a breaking news scene or knocking on the door of their home, I really do feel that sense of, I don't know if it's fear, but it's certainly anticipation and discomfort because I feel sometimes like I'm intruding or I shouldn't be there or they're not going to want to talk to me. But I think over the years, I have the benefit of hindsight. And I think a lot of this book also picks up on that theme where in the moment it may feel uncomfortable, but the alternative is that I don't speak with them at all. And then the story doesn't get out there in an accurate way. And the other benefit of the hindsight is to see the larger impact that these stories have beyond just that initial door knock or approaching someone at the scene. I mean, the Hurricane Katrina survivors talk about The fact that, especially in Mississippi, where the natural disaster was the worst, they saw a lot of relief efforts come in after journalists started publicizing some of those images and interviews out of Mississippi. And there are other examples in the book. I would point to chapter seven, the Paramus school bus crash. I interviewed a 10-year-old survivor whose teacher and best friend were killed in a school bus crash on the way to the field trip. This is like every parent's, every family's worst nightmare, right? And in the moment, the child was recounting what had happened to her. But in the four years since then, she has spoken before Congress. She's spoken at the State House in Trenton here in New Jersey. And what has come of that is that she has helped move the needle on school bus safety and school buses around the country are now safer because of this child. So I think that part of the hindsight is really looking at not only the interaction that I have with the subjects on the day I'm putting together the stories, but sort of the afterlife that it has and all of the impact that can occur after news is publicized. So I'm going to take what you just shared and make it applicable to every person listening and watching. Uh, Jen, if, if I don't have this right, feel free to interrupt. But what I heard you say is I was dealing with a lot of negative self-talk and I get nervous. I get that anticipation. The negative self-talk comes in, but I push myself. I get out of my comfort zone. I go and I make a difference. And then that has a ripple effect. Those people then go out and make a difference. And together, we are really affecting change. And so for the viewers and listeners, you can do that too. And whatever it is that you're doing now, know that you can make a difference in your circle. I think that's an amazing way of putting it, sort of phrasing it like a virtuous cycle, right? Where we're all sort of stepping outside of our comfort zones, because that does seem to be where the growth happens. Yes. Life, right? Whether it's knocking on a door for me at work or somebody else making a phone call or sending an email or offering to help somewhere. I mean, I think stepping outside of our comfort zones is really where the growth happens. And look, I'd like to think I've been a news reporter for 22 years. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone, going from reporting a 90 second story on TV to now writing a 250 page book. It was a big leap. And um, yeah, and like I said, I wasn't even sure it would work till I was half done. But every morning I got up and I put the words to paper. 
Well, I am so glad that you took that leap. I'm sure that the listeners and viewers will be as well. Again, that's jenmaxfield.com. Go ahead and pre-order it now. Comes out July 12th. Jen, thank you so much for being with us and congratulations on all of your successes. And thank you for giving us a glimpse inside your world and letting us know what the rest of the story is. Thank you so much for taking the time and for your insights too, Victoria. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. It is my true desire that you have been inspired and felt a sense of connection with the words being shared. If you have an inspirational story to share on how you have overcome adversity and created an exceptional life, please visit my website, victoriajohnson.org. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.